Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. Um, a lot going on for for late July, at least. There's a bit going on. Um, we have not really grainy Instagram videos anymore. Like, I feel like the quality of Instagram videos has gone up over the last few years since we've been doing this podcast. But we have video or Instagram videos to talk about because that is the NBA in 2019, especially when you have point guards who can't shoot, with which the Sixers seem to stockpile. Uh, we've got a couple more bench pieces signed to the roster. We had a summer league come and go. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. Yeah, a little busy at the end of, uh. It's not yet August, which is nice. Yeah, but we're, uh, we're in the home stretch. I mean, you know, when you get the, the Furkan Korkmaz news, uh, it's, uh, it's about time to go on vacation. Yes. Well, when that is a highlight of your Sixers week, you know that the, uh, free agency period is dwindling down. I guess we'll start off real quick with Ben Simmons. Who signed a contract extension, a five-year contract extension, so meaning he is under contract for the next six years. Exactly how much that contract extension will be for, we do not yet know. It, base salary is up five years, $170 million. It can then rise up, um, you know, basically 170 would be at 25% of the cap. That's an estimate because that won't be set until next summer when the salary cap is officially set. But a five-year 170 estimate is 25% of the cap. It can be 28% of the cap if he is voted to the third team All-NBA after this season, 29% for second, and 30% for third. So that could be a, a pretty substantial difference. You know, we're basically talking about starting at either $29 million or $35 million or somewhere in between depending on how he does this season and ending in 2024 or 25 at either $38 million or $46 million. So difference of, of about $34 million over the course of five seasons. Now, I will say, getting first team All-NBA, he would have to have a monster season at a guard spot, which is why it's the bigger consideration is third team All-NBA, which would be a sizable jump, a 3% jump. Even that is not the easiest to do at the guard spots. And I think if he does do that, he's going to have to show so much growth that you're going to be happy that the Sixers lost that little bit of cap flexibility. I think it's a good thing too that they're, uh, you know, they're going to be an over the cap team for the foreseeable future. This is not, uh, where in Embiid's case, it did affect your cap space moving forward. Um, it's, it's more, this will be more tied into their luxury tax payments and, and how much money Josh Harris has to spend buying this team. But yes, they, uh, it, this is a case where uh, if Ben does get that All-NBA spot, um, he'll have earned it, and he'll have had a great season, and that's what you should hope for if you're the Sixers. What uh, So so what do you think? Obviously, you can negotiate between that 25 and 30% max. Uh, tying it to these incentives, what do, you, uh, what do you think about how the Sixers made out there? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they – I think they made a pretty sizable concession. Um, you know, to get that deal locked in. You know, I do think looking at the all NBA teams last year, your all NBA guards were James Harden, Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, Dame Lillard, uh, Kemba Walker, Russell Westbrook. So not the easiest group to crack into, especially not with the name recognition that they have. So I don't think it's that big of a risk. So to get him locked up 
early if that was a concession it took to get him locked up at what will probably be a 25% max contract, I think was worth it. Um, you know, I think there will be a lot of, is he worth the max if he can't shoot? We've both sort of written pieces. Yes. Yes, he is, especially at 25% as a, uh, what I think now just recently turned 23 years old, um, young player. Even if you think that Simmons and Embiid won't work out if, if Simmons doesn't grow his jump shot. That contract will always be movable for positive value over the course of that contract. I have very little concern of that. So I have no problem with them giving him that max contract. And if these incentives convince him to sign on the dotted line early and you don't have to spend a season worrying about where Ben Simmons, not that you really did because the odds are he would still have resigned as a restricted free agent, like, like taking that qualifying offer and leaving it was, it would have been unprecedented, but you don't, you at least don't have to worry about that. Um, and using these incentives, you know, if he wants to get that money, he's, I, and look, I don't think, I, I mean, I don't want to say that financial incentives don't work for players because clearly they do. And if you're going to make a, you know, a lot of, ta- there are a lot of takes that the Sixers should hold off giving him that max contract until he proved that he was going to work on his jumper and work on his game this summer and come back a better player. What if he pissed that, him off? That, yeah. Right. Well, look at who his agent is, look at Rich Paul, look at how he's orchestrated the entire NBA. That's not necessarily the the pissing match you want to get in. But even more so, like that max contract, that 25% max was always going to be there for him. If money, if that 25% max is what was going to motivate him, then it, it that was never going to be effective. You're never going to, you're just, you're just going to piss him off with no real benefit of motivating him because that max was always going to be here. Now you have that 28, 29, 30%. If money is a motive, motivating factor, I think that's a better way to go about it. Like I said at the beginning, if he gets on one of these three teams, he will be worth whatever money, you know, whatever bonus essentially he gets from those, those incentives. I'm fine with it. Um, like I said, it is some risk locking him, locking him up into that now, but I think it's a risk worth taking. And also I, I just want to clarify. When we say like if he makes third team all NBA, he gets 28% of the cap. That's only relevant this year. It's only whatever he gets after the 2019-20 season, whatever he's voted to, it's locked in. By this time next year, we'll know his exact contract figures. Uh, Like I said, even it is estimates. That's why we say 28% of the cap rather than a specific number because it depends on what the cap is calculated that next July. But I think, I think this was the right way to, if incentivizing the player to improve this summer, I think it was going to improve anyway, or work to improve anyway, at least. And we'll sort of get into that later once we get into those Instagram videos. But if financial incentives are the way you want to go about it, I think this is the better way to go about it than withholding that max offer. Yeah. And, and it's it, not even close, I don't think. And, and to be clear, right? You, they saved, I mean, 32-7 for, uh, which, you know, with the projected cap right now is third team. And it's 35 million, uh, for first team, like saving two and a half million dollars almost. Like, you know, you could have given him 30% for third team all NBA. That's, that's a little bit of a concession on Ben's part. Cause yep. I mean, it's, it's much more likely he would make third team all NBA than first team. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know what? It's, it's a, it's a good bit of business. The, uh, you know, there, last year there was a lot of kind of just general speculation. Is Ben Simmons going to be the guy who's going to take his qualifying offer? Is he going to be the first person? Is he going to bolt for Los Angeles? And the answer is no. And that, you know, I, I think that player will come at some point, you know, who's not happy with their situation. But I, I, I always thought, you know, Ben Simmons, like, 
this is a big market. Uh, you know, the fit with Joe is not always perfect, but it's a good team. Likes Brett. Uh, it just, it just seemed like pretty much a no brainer. And that, that's kind of the way the Sixers, uh, went about this. I, I totally agree with your point about it always being positive value. There's 30 teams, man. I, people would kill to have him. Yes. You know, the Hornets or somebody like there, there's always going to be, I mean, there's a ton of teams and I think like we wrote about before this, um, if you waited to max him out, there would have been plenty of teams willing to throw that offer at him next year. Uh, which is why the, the whole concept of is he worth a max is just kind of dumb because yes, it's, it's what, you know, the top echelon NBA players are always underpaid because there is a cap on their salary and you, uh, you are what another team will pay for you. And, and that is a max. Um, yeah. So I, I'm not worried about this being, uh, an immovable contract by any means, even if he does not, uh, figure out the old jumper, which I guess we should talk about. The, the, the example I always go back to when I'm, uh, sort of try to describe this, Jimmy Butler completely torpedoed a team's future less than a year ago in, in Minnesota. Gets to the Sixers, almost immediately there's reports about a, 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 a blow up after a film session in Philly. Sixers, conflicting reports, but don't seem like they're willing to offer a five-year max. Miami jumps in, not only is willing to offer a four-year max at 30%. Trade a good player on a good contract. A good young player on one of the best, you know, all superstars are underpaid, all rookie contracts, if you're good, are underpaid. But among players who have actually negotiated a contract, one of the best contracts in the league. So not only were they willing to give up a four-year max for what will be a 30-year-old player who's been a malcontent at times, and, and there's concern that he'll break down, but they were also able, willing to give up their best player on their best contract to do so. You will, if, if something happens where Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and this whole core don't fit and you feel like you have to, to shake things up, you would, Ben Simmons will have positive value, much more positive value than if you had let him, let him walk. This was a, offering this extension, this is one of the reasons why, like, when the reports came out, like, oh, Ben Simmons and the Sixers are discussing an extension. No shit. Like, this was always going to be discussions. The question was going to be whether or not, you know, the Sixers were always going to look to extend Ben Simmons. The question was always going to come down to whether or not Rich Paul and Ben Simmons were agreeable to that. Going back to your your who will be the first max level player to take a qualifying offer, I really thought if Porzingis would have stayed in New York, I think that's where that could have been interesting when you have a dysfunctional franchise like the Knicks, but the trade happened and now he's extended and, and we'll see how that works and, out. And I mean to to be clear, like they're they're not home scot free. Rich Paul obviously has led the oh, no. uh led the idea of players who have multiple years left on their deal uh w- wanting out, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of hesitation from there, uh, and right, right now on this. So it, uh, much, uh, much speculation about what ended up being nothing for now. But yeah, obviously there, you know, Ben could get sick of things. The Sixers could want to move on from eventually, but it, it seems like, you know, for now they're in a pretty good spot. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, if there is a, a a poster child for player the player empowerment era. Rich Paul would be front and center on that poster. Um, this is as much as in the past a signed contract just meant that a team would have to trade them if they wanted to end the marriage. Now there's also the player aspect where they could, you know, force their hand and try to force the team's hand 
to get them where they want to go. We're very much seeing that in today's NBA. There is both good and bad aspects to that being the case. But does this mean Ben Simmons will be on the Sixers through, through 24, 25? No. Uh, you hope that's what it means, but it means he's under contract through 24, 25 or 2024, 25. Um, and, and that's why whether or not it's a positive value contract is so, so crucial and so important. Go, All right. Go, wait, real, real quick. Going back to the, to the details. Uh, how much mileage do you think you have gotten out of, uh, just writing about these weird contracts the Sixers oh. hand out? I mean, they, they have to lead the league in the, uh, the most specific, bonuses and non-guarantees and injury protection and all this stuff. Uh, it's, uh, I, I mean, the, the NBA salary cap is hard enough to master, which, which you have come, you know, you haven't mastered, but you know it a lot better than a lot of people. Uh, and they are giving you pretty much every little detail possible to, to learn about. Like, yeah. Yeah, I have I have learned a lot this summer, which you don't normally expect to say when you've been doing this. We, not that not that we're old heads, but we've been doing this for a little while now. I have certainly learned quite a bit about the collective bargaining agreement. Like, um, like we we had some stuff wrong. Uh, did you see what Utah did with their uh, their two way players to uh, to circumvent the empty roster charges a couple weeks ago? Yeah, no two way two way contracts talk about uh, or count against the uh the 12 minimum roster spots and i learned that i learned that out in vegas alongside uh i didn't know about the unlikely bonuses at first uh it ended up not being the case with uh with with horford's contract but i i had to sort of burst myself into into that aspect of the collective collective bargaining agreement um there are those always you know unlikely it it's you'd, you'd always see like Houston would do this a lot where bonuses would come in the form of how many three pointers you made and you'd see guys at the end of the season or three, your three point percentage and you'd see guys at the end of the season unwilling to take three pointers because they were over that threshold. Mo Harkless. Uh, that was the classic. Mo Harkless. Yep. Yep. So the Sixers just haven't given out those contracts recently. So I haven't really read up too much on it. So I had to learn about that real quickly. And then I found out that wasn't the case. Yeah, it was a good summer for the the collective bargaining agreement, and I enjoy writing about that aspect of it. I enjoy the all phases of the team building aspect to this sport, but I'm I'm not I'm I'm ready to take a, a little bit of a break on on on. I'm willing to get my head out of Excel for for a couple of couple of weeks at least. Well, right. well let's talk about Instagram then. Let's talk about Instagram, my my other long lost love. So. Chris Johnson, who Ben Simmons has been working out for most of the summer so far. Not his brother. Has, not his brother. Um, not Liam Simmons. But has dropped a couple of videos on Instagram and Twitter about, you know, showcasing Ben Simmons doing a variety of things. But the, nobody really cares about the dunks because we all know Ben Simmons can dunk. He has featured him taking a number of jumpers. Off the dribble, off the catch. And they've gone in. How much and 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 go to what is it, uh, Chris Johnson Hoops on Instagram? I'll 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 look it up as you're talking. He's got a Twitter too. Yeah, Chris Johnson Hoops, I think, is what it's called. Um, I, how, how how much do you care about these? So just just watching the little heavily edited snippets of uh, of these runs, I think uh, I think my first thought is I you know I don't take a ton out of them, but I think my first thought is just like. Because you're watching him make jumper after jumper, it's like just imagining if he had a jumper, and I'm just like seeing LeBron uh, in my head if he was able to 
to figure this out. It's it would be terrifying for uh, opposing defenses. It would be unbelievable how scary he would be. Um, and now, in terms of his shot, it doesn't seem to me like he's uh he's tweaked the form all that much. It's still still left handed, of course. Still seems like his uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we have to start every conversation about the revised Ben Simmons jump shot form with what hand he's shooting with. I love it. Still, still with that elbow kind of flared out. Uh, it seems like he was still taking a lot of those, uh, I'm going to say garbage or garbanzo beans, uh, fadeaways. Not, not a fan of those. Seems like he, he takes a lot of them, but it, it does seem like he's pulling them in games. You know, he, he took a couple, threes where he was just kind of on balance and somebody was playing off of him. Um, you know, I, I we'll see. And and I don't want to I don't want to say that in terms of like, you know, the, the dismissive person. Let's see what he does it in a game. Like it's like, well, like let's see what 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 he does in a game, but also um, you know, it's the summer. So the, it's not time for games yet. So it, it right. it's good to see he's working on it. Uh that's all we have at this point. I uh you know, it's it, it does make you dream though, even if it's like ugly and he can find a way to to make the shots. Like, if that's one scary dude, if he can just pull up and make shots, because I mean that that's the total package. The uh, can I, real quick before I I hand it off to you, um, th- there's one thing that's kind of been bothering me about his uh the the idea of his uh you know he needs a mid range game. Like I think a lot of people say, well, he at least needs a 15 footer. And while I agree with that, um, I, I would like to say he needs a corner three. That, that's what he needs. Yeah. Like a 15 footer, he would need to be Dirk, uh, to like actually have spacing from, from that range. I mean, there's no way he'd have to make that what, like 55% of the time. There's no way yeah, he'd do that. Uh, so, so he eventually needs to have a corner three because I mostly talk about this in terms of off ball. Um, you know, and, and just finding a place for him. Off the ball, that's that's what it's going to be eventually. But like, just in general, it seems like he's working on it. it. Seems like he's trying to pull them in games. You know, obviously that again, I, I cannot emphasize enough probably how heavily edited that uh, that footage is. But seems seems good to me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think when when most people talk about a mid range, it's mostly in the context of you know that's sort of like a gateway shot to the eventual corner three sure. corner and, yeah. and and the catch and shoot from distance. Baby steps. Also, a little bit like you know, I think mostly. If you're talking about off the dribble, I think a lot of that's going to come from mid-range even, even as he gets further into his career. So I think like a, a mid-range pull-up would be nice. Yeah. But certainly off-ball catch and shoot, you're, you're going to be talking about, you, you want him at the corners from the three-point line, uh, for sure. And, and like I said, I think a, a, a mid-range is sort of like a, a gateway to an eventual end goal. So for the, I, I, and I looked it up while you were talking, um, Chris Johnson hoops on Instagram. And Chris J Hoops on Twitter. Uh, so check those out for those videos. So in terms of the form, like certainly left hand. And I say that jokingly. Like, do I think there might be something where maybe if he had learned when he was five years old to shoot right handed, he would be farther along and more comfortable doing so than being taught right or left handed? Because that is really the only thing he does left handed. Maybe I think there could be a compelling argument to that, but he was taught to shoot left handed. And changing that now would be tough, really, really difficult. You know, I think the elbow is probably the number one thing I look at, and that is still mostly flared. Um, you know, the other, the other two things sort of 
He does seem to be fading away at almost all of them, which is something he always does. He's shot non-turnaround and non-spinning turnaround jumpers, which is good. That's probably the the most positive thing I've I've taken from the videos. Um, they've all seemed to be, you know, he has a tendency to sometimes shoot on his way down. All of these seem like they are well-timed and in rhythm. Now, this is where you go back to, well, they're heavily edited. Um, so we're not, they're all going not in seeing the ones, right? They're all going in and you're, we're probably not seeing the ones. If his timing is inconsistent, we're not seeing that. Um, you know, I think right now, am I super excited? No, because the form still looks something that I question whether or not he'll be able to repeat in the NBA and whether he'll have the conf- whether it will ever yield the consistent results to give him the confidence that he clearly right now lacks. But I think, it's very clear that he has spent the summer and will spend the summer focusing on that aspect of his game. I think that is good. I think it's good that he is working with Chris Johnson. To your point, am I saying he's going to come out here and be making three-pointers and shooting pull-up mid-range jumpers regularly? Not yet. You know, I think I I do need to see that in games. I need to see that when training camp opens. I need to see that in the preseason. And then I need to see that in a regular season. But also to your point, this is probably about as optimistic as you, outside of maybe Chris Johnson releasing an entire day's worth of workout or an entire game so we could really see what the sample is like and what the variance is like in those shots. This is probably about as good of a, you know, if you were talking about where you could be in in mid to late July, this is, I think, trending in the right direction of positivity. Yeah. Uh, I also like that he's not playing for Australia in the World Cup, just just for this one specific thing to get better at your shot, because I think my, my general philosophy on that is in those games, I mean, those are, you know, you're playing for pride, you're playing for your country. And that, I think that does matter a lot to Ben. He's certainly going to play in the Olympics next year. It seems like, uh, but those games, you know, you're trying to win. So you stick to your strengths. And when you're playing against these NBA guys in some gym in Southern California, you can try shit. And that's what he needs to do. So yeah. I think that's good. Um, I'm, you know, what's getting me mad. The comparisons to Fultz with releasing these videos. I mean, come on. It's totally different. Like I, I get it. It's a workout video, but like Fultz Hanlon had to edit it frame by frame to make it seem like he was okay. Like this is footage of Ben doing this in a game. And we know, you know, Ben has a certain baseline a very high one, one that just got him the contract we talked about. I don't know. For some reason, I feel like, uh, and I don't blame people for having sort of, uh, PTSD, uh, with, uh, with shooting coaches and summer highlight videos, but I don't know. It just feels different to me. Yeah. I mean, I guess what I would say in terms of shooting coaches is they're all salesmen. Uh, from Drew Hanlon to Chris Johnson, and they're all going to sell their work the most effective way that they can. And I think you have to sort of think about that when you're watching all of these videos, whether that's Markel, whether that's Ben. You know, they're they're not going to release anything that doesn't look like progress is being made and, and look like the workouts are effective. So I think there's some you know, similarities there. I think there's some similarities with Ben and, and Markel in terms of confidence. And I think Markel was a much more drastic version of that. But I also think Ben clearly has never had confidence in that jumper. So seeing it in any kind of like structured setting and any kind of a team setting 
is good. But yeah, no, I, I get you. And look, why Markel didn't work out, just because Markel didn't work out doesn't mean you have to disregard every summer workout video you'll ever see. Um, but I guess what I would say is that all, all of these trainers are salesmen first, not first and foremost, but after their craft, after actually teaching basketball players how to be better, they're also very much PR and salesmen as well. That's how they get new clients. Yep. All right. Uh, let's go to the bench. Sign for Ken Korkmaz. Technically the 15th guy under an NBA contract. Norvell Pell and Mario Shayak under two ways. They do not count as an NBA roster spot. Do they count, have, do they count for the 20 man though? I think they do, right? That's a good question. I should know that. It doesn't, for sure. it doesn't matter that much. It's, I don't think they do. Right. I'll, I'll double check that. Regardless. But you can have up to 20 NBA roster or NBA contracts during the offseason that has to get down to 15. So technically they're at 15 now after signing Kumaji, uh, and then signing Furkan Korkmaz. Kumaji was an exhibit 10. That basically means he gets a bonus if he is waived after training camp and signs with the G League. Uh, so usually those end up being G League players under G League contracts that end up under your um, affiliate team. Back in the day, we used to call those affiliate cuts. But uh he gets a little bit of bonus, a little more financially competitive. So he hopefully sticks rounds in the G League. I doubt he will be on a 15-man roster once the regular season breaks. So theoretically, if you're looking at the Sixers roster, Furkan would have, have taken them to 14. So you could still see them sign another player. They tend to like to go into the regular season with an open roster spot. Um, I think it's overdone on their part. I would rather sign someone now, whether that's someone like Cephalosha or, or whoever it may be, and then waive someone if you need be to make another transaction later on. But they seem to like to keep that, that, that open roster spot. And I sort of expect them to do that again this season. But technically, Korkmaz didn't cost them. You know, some people made the case that Korkmaz costed them. Like, they basically chose Korkmaz over the 33rd or 34th pick in the draft. Not really the case because they they do still have, um, assuming they don't keep Kamaji on the, the roster on the regular season breaks, they still, do still have an open roster spot. But I can see how you would draw that parallel because they basically said, we don't want any more young players taking up roster spots, and then they signed a 22-year-old Korkmaz. Um, I do think they were going to, you know, if, if Kyle Korver picks the Sixers oh, yeah. over the Bucks, like I think this was a reaction to that. Yeah. And I think there were probably better options out there than Korkmaz, and I would have rather had a, a 33rd or 34th pick in the draft than Korkmaz, um, but here we are. Here we are. So I guess I guess – we don't need to talk too much about Korkmaz. He's going to be buried on the, the the bench, buried on the depth chart. Going back, they obviously brought back um, Scott, Mike Scott, James Ennis. You've got Zaire. You've got Matisse. Uh, Howell Nato. Um, Jonah Bolden still kicking minimum. around. Jonah Bolden is still on the roster. How how are you feeling about the depth the depth on this team and the bench on this team? So I think a lot of people nationally, I think like Zach Harper and his uh, his power rankings at the Athletic kind of talked about that he was a little worried about the depth, and I don't think he'll be the only one. Um, I'm I'm less worried about it because I think Al Horford, you have to factor him in as part of your bench. Uh, it's just a critical part, and I guess we we also need to mention. Kylo Quinn, uh, I think honestly for this team, you know, we've talked about it a million times, but depth at center is, is How did I forget Kylo Quinn? Oy. 
I mean, I mean, he's, my bad. He's not Mike. He's not Michael Jordan. It's it's okay. Like I, I think it's uh, it's all right. But you know, just just to have uh, Horford, who I think we assume will be uh, will be on the floor at all times when Embiid is not. Um, and, and with the way that the Sixers stagger their players and all of the talent they have in their starting lineup, which you know we, we've talked about, doesn't always kind of doesn't make sense those five players perfectly on uh, on offense they're gonna have to figure that out when you can mix and match some of these bench guys maybe uh bump tobias up to the four um you, you know and just just add some of these bench guys in there and play simmons with horford uh i think the bench is going to be fine in the regular season i'm a little more worried about it in the playoffs just because i'm not sure you know it, scott and ennis i i trust them more than muscala for sure and and Wilson Chandler, I would say even, I, I would take those guys over him. But, uh, you know, you, you just never know what these guys are going to look like from year to year, you know. Um, but I think in, in general, I, I would have liked to have had Corver just because I like that, uh, like that shooter, you know, they, they've shown that they, they know how to kind of scheme up, uh, you know, with JJ and Landry, that would have been a, a nice fit, but, you know, for now, I think Scott and Ennis is your sixth and seventh guys. That's fine. It, I think the big hope is to just try and find a way for one of uh, Zaire Matisse to uh, to take a big step forward this year. Yeah, you know, I think I think it would have terms of it would have gotten crowded though if if they had Corver for those the guys. wings would have gotten crowded. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's you know I think I think Neto will be an upgrade over TJ. I think O'Quinn will be an upgrade. Over backup center committee, um, that was designed for 2007 rather than 28 or 2019. So I like that. You know, I think they're missing sort of like the, the, the certainly, you know, I, I think a lot of people look at the bench and will be like, well, they don't have that pure scorer off the bench. And at times I think that's overblown because of the way they're going to stagger these lineups. But on the other hand, like I think this team is in general missing perimeter shot creation anyway. So I think that would be a, a, a great way to help in that regard. Um, would a Lou Williams, I mean, Lou Williams is an incredible six man, but would that type help? Yeah, absolutely. And if you're looking for a weakness on the bench, to me, it's less about depth at this point. It's less about your ninth, 10th, 11th player potentially being playable. And it's more that you just don't have that definitely reliable game in, game out could really take over a game at any moment. Option. Like, I think, I think it's, it's a bench that's deeper more than it is top heavy. So I think you'd like to improve that, but it's obviously tough to do so. Um, being able to stagger Horford, you know, I think one of the, the real things when we start seeing this sort of version of the 76ers play out is that you finally have a, a center in Horford when Embiid's on the bench who can complement and play off of and make make Simmons better, who can really play his style of play, who can spread the floor, make passes, and 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 you've never had a center who could both protect the rim and also spread the floor. Like you always had either Boban, who couldn't really protect the rim either, but he was at least big around the rim, but he couldn't spread the floor. Or you'd have like Mike Muscala, who could theoretically spread the floor, but he couldn't do anything on defense. So you finally have someone who's not a liability, can spread the floor, and can kind of, you know, play off of Ben Simmons' style of play. And I think that will, you know, I think the closest you had to that was Ilyasova. 
And I think that that helped Ben a little bit, you know, but I think Horford and, and Simmons will be a real good pairing and I'm excited to see that, that play out. And I think being able to stagger that lineup when, when your best player in beads off the floor, I think that's, I think that will help this bench be, 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 be competitive. And that's what you're looking for. Those two are going to be dynamite together. Ilyasova played some center when Embiid went down at the end of 17-18 when Simmons just just carried him to the end on that massive winning streak. Uh Horford is is Ilyasova but just a much better defender. Um, oh, a hundred million times better. Yep. Yeah. So and, and and look, they got away with playing Ilyasova uh for at least the regular season. So well, I just yeah. I just think yeah, the bench, it's, it, like you said, it does not have the top end talent. If, if you would look at it and say Scott and Ennis right now, at least, I know people want, uh, Zaire and Matisse to be, uh, put in the same conversation as those guys. I gotta see it first. Um, the rookies, like those guys played the playoffs. I think they, they deserve to at least be mentioned there now. Uh, when those two are your most reliable players right now, that that doesn't seem too good when you look at it, but I just no, think if you were if you're gonna rank like the top two players off the bench for every playoff team, that would be towards the bottom for sure. Yeah, if you had an NBA Jam style tournament, although Mike Scott right. would be probably pretty pretty good in that. <laughs> the um, so that's not great, but I I do think like the starting lineup has enough talent and can be broken up where they complement each other. Um, you know I, that. I'm curious to kind of see how, how Richardson works off Embiid. I would hope those two play a lot together in the, um, you know, the minutes where Simmons and Horford are maybe off the floor. If, if they can develop, you know, if not the same type of chemistry with Reddick, uh, that Reddick had with Embiid, at least something similar, right? But basically, yeah, I just think the starters will, uh, will find a way to prop up these guys and, and the bench guys, there are enough of them that they'll be able to fill in the, uh, gaps. Of, uh, of Thibel and Zaire, who do you think starts off the season with more, con- a, con- a more consistent role? So, so the way this got asked to me in a mailbag l- last week, I, the way I said it, and it's hard, I, I don't know is, is my answer, but here's kind of the way I cheated. Uh, to me, Zaire is the player with higher upside of those two. So in the regular season, I would think he would get the first crack. Um, just uh, he could do more with the ball to me. Uh, he's obviously a more dynamic athlete. I th- I think he'll get a chance first. Uh, but Thibel to me, I do wonder a little bit about Zaire's shot. And uh, Thibel, you know, we, I, we might talk about summer league a little bit, but his shooting in summer league, I get it. It was five games. It's I don't want to make a huge deal about it. He looked really comfortable. Um, you know, he even showed some moving off screens, but. You know, when he got drafted, we were just talking about, can he make a corner three? And that looked really easy for him. So, you know, I, I think he's another good option there. Uh, but to me, Zaire is the higher upside. I kind of want to see what he can do a little more. Um, so I, I guess that that would be the way I'll cheat. But, uh, you know, it's going to be even with, uh, you know, with Corver not here. There's not a ton of minutes if Ennis is getting time for those guys. Uh, unless Josh Richardson plays back a point guard or something. Because if like, if you give Howell Neto 14 minutes or so off the bench, you know, Simmons plays 34, he gets 14, 
there's only like 17 or 18 minutes left for those guys if, if Ennis is getting regular time. So we'll see. Uh, it's not, you know, I'm sure there will be guys injured and everybody will get a chance because, hey, it's the Sixers. The Corkmaz was in the rotation after he got his option decline last year. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think, I think Thibel is probably a little bit more, a little more ready to contribute. Like if they had to, if you start off the, the season and it was the playoffs and not the regular season, I think you'd probably see Thibel ahead of Zaire. Um, I just think his game translates a little bit easier. The shot is more projectable. You know, like we said at the time of the draft, he struggled as a senior, but before then he was a pretty reliable college three point shooter. Came out in summer league and, you know, showed that he can make an NBA three pointer. And I just, ha- I have more confidence in that shot. And as long as I have more confidence in that shot, I think he's a, he's a more reliable player at this stage. Also, also with the ready made Sixers team with all the ball handlers too, he seems right. like a better fit. Like if it were the, uh, the 2015 16 Sixers, you would give the ball to Zaire and let him go. But, right. you know, this team's trying to win. You know, I think it's interesting the way you brought it up with the upside with Zaire and whether they might basically make that sh- that spot his to lose or at least see what he has and see what he's developed over the last couple of months here. Uh I could I could see that playing out that way. It'll be interesting to see which way they go. And a lot of it will probably come down to how they look in camp, how they look in the preseason. Um but that's the way I would answer it. If if I had to win a game now, I think Matisse is probably a little safer of a bet. Uh, but I could see them going to Z- Zaire because I think he has the higher, the higher upside. Um, and, and, look, and like you said, this bench just looks, it slots in so much easier if one of those two pops. And look, maybe they both pop and Ennis doesn't play as well too. And they, they can both jump. But, uh, you know, and, and Ennis, I'm sure, you know, he, he battled some injuries at the end of last year. They'll both get a shot at some point, but yeah, it's, uh, I think they're kind of battling for the last spot in my view, at least to begin the season. But, you know, if they go to a nine man rotation, but th- there are ways they can both get on the floor if, if both of them prove that they're worthy of it. Yep. So going to summer league, I guess if, if I had to, if I told you my biggest takeaway from summer league, what, what would you guess that that is? PJ Dozier was on fire the last game. Your absolute disdain for self-driving cars. We tried to get a self-driving uh, lift, and Rich <laughs> lost his shit. He noped out of that so quickly, um, and that was maybe my biggest takeaway because I don't. It might be in the you know we have been working together in some capacity, whether that's at Liberty Ballers doing this podcast for what seven, eight years. Like it's been a long time. That might be the strongest take I've ever seen you have. You shut that down real quickly. Um, not a fan of self-driving cars. So you will be out of luck in 15 to 20 years when you don't have that option anymore. <laughs> it's true. That was my biggest takeaway. I was afraid, summer. man. I I didn't want to. not, not thrilled. Look, I think my take was, let, let me see other people ride in them <laughs> for a while. And then, and then, then I'll, I'll get with the times, you know. Well, 2019 Rich was not a, was, was not into trying the self-driving lift. I think that's a fair, Take though for that to be your your biggest take away because oh it was definitely because I don't take away much from summer league no, but that I took away no it's it's hot uh the uh those are some long days at uh at Thomas and Mac the uh the Sixers team they didn't have you know I think the Sixers in terms of basketball they 
Shake didn't play that well, but once he went down, they they were a pretty tough watch because they didn't really have the type of ball handlers you would need. Their two their two best players are, for lack of a, a more specific term, three and D guys, and you know you need you see guys like Anthony Simons or somebody, you know, guys who are trying to become kind of the, the bench ball handler that we were talking that the Sixers are lacking. Uh, so that kind of makes it, you know, th- those guys can kind of go wild in summer league and that, that makes them a tough watch. But I think, you know, just in general, you know, we, we kind of talked about Zaire and Matisse, but I thought they both acquitted themselves pretty well. It wasn't, it wasn't perfect. Uh, Matisse needs to obviously work on, uh, on his ball handling, like he was losing the ball too much on just simple drives. Zaire needs to work a little bit on his, uh, on his decision making. He would kind of flash with a great pass and then sometimes he would throw a bad one. But it was just good to see him honestly just jumping out of the gym and with a big smile on his face. I thought for the most part with their top prospect, Shake didn't shoot the ball well at all, but you know, he got hurt and I'm not going to be too worried about that. But but for their two young guys who were uh, their last two first round picks, I thought it was a pretty good week. Yeah. So my biggest takeaways outside of of Rich's fear, you know, first Zaire looking like Zaire physically, which was just tremendous to see, and you you kind of seen that towards the end of the season after maybe a rough start to his G League career, but just seeing that kid back to being the way he looked physically, the way he looked athletically, very good sign. Second, we talked about it earlier. Uh, Matisse and his three-point shooting, and even moving off of of screens and, and and flying around like that, that was good to see. And then the third is probably Shake, and you know a big part of his, you know what I think he made like one shot at summer league, something absurd like that in three games. And a big part of that is he he just missed shots. He missed shots that he's going to make that he has made that he will make again in the future. But it does seem like he has to work awfully hard to get everything he wants. He's, at anything above a G League level. He's not a point guard. I don't think he's a point guard, and I worry about whether or not he's going to be able to create space, create separation, and get past that first layer of defense to create his own offense. Um, so as much as they tried to sort of make him the third string point guard, as much as they certainly made him the point guard for the G, or for the, um, for the summer league team, my biggest thing, I want to see him off the catch. I want to see him coming off of screens because that's the way I think. And maybe if they attack a closeout, then he can try to get in the paint. Because if he has to make a living creating his own shot, I'm just not sure he can do that consistently against NBA size and length. And so was I concerned about the shooting? No, not really. But his inability to really get into the paint and create a shot was a little concerning, if only because you know, it's sort of the same knock you, you heard about him after the combine last year. That was the same knock coming out of college. And it's just sort of another instance where it's been a little bit, you know, a little tough to watch. I, so I was, I agree with you on that. The, uh, I, I wrote about that too. I, I don't know why I glossed over it in my, uh, in my comments here, but yeah, his handle is just not advanced enough. And he's just not a great athlete in terms no. of, you know, creating for himself. You know, he, I thought his feel was really good at times. Like, like he's a good passer. He was the only guy on the whole team who, when he ran a pick and roll and was able to get into the lane, like he could make that skip pass to the corner to Thibel in a way that I don't think really anybody else on the team could have. 
but it's like you said, it, it, he couldn't get into the lane effortlessly in a way you'd like to see a point guard do. Um, yeah, and that's that's the biggest takeaway. And I agree with you. Like, he didn't shoot the ball well at all. He was terrible in those couple games shooting the ball. But he's going to need to be a really good shooter, I think, because that's how that's how those type of players stick in the league. They leverage their shot, and people have to play way up on them, and that's how you get in the lane. But, yeah, I think, you know, they gave him more responsibility than they would at the NBA level, and it did kind of show what his flaws are. You know, I think a lot of people at the end of last season and this summer, and maybe we're partly guilty of that because we argued that he should have been ahead of John Simmons in the rotation. And I tried, we really tried to qualify that at the time as less of a shake endorsement and more of a anybody but John Simmons statement. But I think a lot of people looked at him and went, well, that's a lot to be a backup point guard. Pencil him as, pencil shaken as a backup point guard. And am I saying he can't be that? No, I'm not going that far. You know, I think the Sixers like the idea of sort of like a big quasi point guard to play alongside Ben Simmons who can shoot. So not that I think he's necessarily has point guard instincts or point guard shot creation, but as a quasi pseudo point guard, I think, I think maybe you could make that work. But do I think it's a lock? No, I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of unknown about Shake Milton as an NBA player right now. And I'm surprised how many people sort of just jumped right to the, yeah, he's definitely a backup point guard. We, we can pencil that in, um, rather than being hopeful or maybe even optimistic. But it seemed like a lot of people went to known quantity Shake Milton. And I was a little bit surprised, you know, from what I understand, that was a three year guarantee with a fourth year team option on his contract. Now it's, it's for almost no money. You know, it's, it's a little over a million dollars per year with four years, seven million was the total with, you know, three, five guaranteed. So it's not a, a huge commitment, but it does seem like that was somewhat of a priority, you know, preserving that last bit of cap space so they could, you know, they basically chose Shake Milton over a 33 or 34th pick in the draft. And is, do I think that was necessarily the right call to make? I, I'm not sure about that. And I know that you traded, I forget which pick they, they traded the 34th pick for what, two future picks and like 56 that they sold or some, I don't know, I need a flow chart, but I, the end result was two decently valuable future picks. And maybe one of them ends up being decent and one of them ends up being mid second round. I like the known quantity of a top five second round pick. What I, you know, I, I think there's a debate there and I hope I'm wrong. I hope Shake, who they committed to, you know, can, can, can be that contributor at an NBA level. Uh, I certainly think he has some skill, but I do worry about the athletic limitations and whether that might make it, um, you know, might be too much to overcome for him. So we'll see. We'll see. That, that being said, I don't expect him like, you know, I expect Simmons and NATO to get most of the time at point guard. Yep. Uh, barring an injury. And if an, there is an injury, then you could even see Josh Richardson jump in there and handle the ball a little bit. And then maybe a little bit of shake as well. So who knows how much he'll even be asked to do. He might spend another season playing some time in the G League. I mean, if, on he, assignment. if he's your 13th guy or 12th guy. No, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, lose much sleep over. That's, that's fine. He can, he can figure some things out there. And if, if not, whatever, he's not making that much money. So I am not anti shake Milton on a three year low money contract. Um, I just have. Concerns that I'm not quite ready to pencil him in as a reliable NBA backup point guard. So. 
Oh yeah, I I agree, and I think uh, look, I think the, the the noise for him to play at the end of last year and for him to be uh, converted into an NBA contract was more of an uh, indictment of the Sixers' depth. <laughs> I think that was was pretty clear, and I think hopefully this year it should be a little bit better. Uh, so. Yeah, we know, uh, we know he can play in the D League, but, or G League, sorry, I know you get mad about that. You, you like, you Gatorade's like, gotta get that money, man. Come you, on. You like your Gatorade. Uh, so yeah, I think he's gonna have to, he's really gonna have to show something to crack the rotation this year, but you never know. Alright, I think that's probably a good enough place to end it. Mostly because I'm sick of hearing myself talk. But thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you at some point over the summer. Thanks, man. I don't want to say I don't want to say soon because then somebody might hold me to that. And Lord knows we can't go two weeks in a row with a podcast. But at some point over the summer, we will talk to you again. See you September. <laughs> yeah. All right. Take care. I attract clientele. My mic check is life or death. Breathing the sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow smoke. I pull through righteous steps. Deep.